0: We, we actually ran a study uh, where we kind of surveyed a few companies and we found that they spend, you know, 80% of their time doing things like planning experiments, gathering resources, actually executing the experiment, uh, cleaning and aggregating data for analysis and, and a very small amount of time on the really high value add activities of uh, interpreting that data and then folding that back into another experiment.
1: Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I am your host, Alexandra Jahensky. Let's start. Three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you are a scientist in biomedical space, especially if you are an experimentalist, then you understand how much physical effort is put into each experiment. Pipeting, feeding cells, taking microscope images, and literally lots of sweat and tears are behind each research paper. Scientists today still spend most of their time at bench instead of talking to their colleagues, doing more reading, and coming up with new hypotheses. Well, our today's guest is coming from an organization that is aiming to change that. It is my pleasure to welcome on the show Toby Blackburn, the Head of Business Development and Strategy at Emerald Cloud Laboratories. Toby, thank you so much for accepting our invitation, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. Perfect. Toby, let's start with your background. Can you tell our audience more about yourself and what motivated you to join ECL?
0: Absolutely. Um, so I started uh, in undergrad as a chemical engineer uh, at North Carolina State University. Um, and after undergrad, I moved uh, into a process development role at Biogen. Um, there I worked in the cell culture lab, figuring out how to scale up cell culture processes um, you know, from the small-scale research side to manufacturing scale. Um, During that process, I also went back and got my MBA at Duke, and then moved into more of a technical operations uh, field, and that's really where I got a sense for how information systems work in labs and and how they're put into place and where they they come short. Um, After that, I moved into a role in analytical development, uh, leading a team and outsourcing activities uh, to drive basically process uh, characterization samples. and that's where I really started to see the full picture of, of what was, um, you know, to some degree missing and, and started to begin to see what ECL was doing and that it was fully proceduralizing science and kind of um, rethinking about the whole paradigm of how lab activities uh, work. Um, after that, I spent a short stint in uh, medical, actually working in a medical evidence generation team uh, before making the leap last year
1: to, to come over to ECL. Perfect. Sounds awesome. So, Toby, maybe you can tell our audience a little bit more about what actually ECL is doing and how is it different from uh, classical uh, contract research organization?
0: Absolutely. ECL is a physical laboratory, which scientists can access remotely via the internet and provides the same level of control as a scientist would have in a traditional lab environment. Um, Some of the main differences here are that we don't separate scientists from the science. We provide direct control of the instrumentation. We also, uh, in order to do that, have to fully specify methods up front. Um, And this allows for an unparalleled level of reproducibility because there's no ambiguity experiments. Um, Everything that happens or exists in the lab is is contextually organized in a database. So the system itself knows where everything is, and it has all of the data in a a way that's native and natural for scientists to understand. It's organized by the way people typically think about their experiments. and the, the byproduct of it, too, is that it's, it's fully structured and it allows for higher level operations like, you know, AI or machine learning without a lot of data processing.
1: I understand. So it means that you guys essentially operate the physical lab uh, and that people from all over the world can potentially uh, access it via some sort of digital interface, correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have, uh, I think our favorite exper- uh, example of that is... Uh, a scientist who is literally running experiments from the beach.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> what, what scientists actually need is uh, maybe in, definitely a lot, of, a lot of sunshine, so running experiment from the beach is, is not a terrible idea. Uh, scientists need more time, right? And um, a lot of experimental work has to be done manually. And the problem that, that we've been seeing constantly in academia and in uh, industry as well uh, is the reproducibility of um, data. Um, just because of manual pipetting mistakes, um, inequality, uh, inappropriate sample storage. Um, how ECL helps to solve that problem and improve re- reproducibility of experiments?
0: Yeah, so so they're kind of all tied together and it's h- hard to separate kind of, um, you know, the one aspect, which is separating scientists from the, the logistics activities of science and making sure that they spend only their time on experimental design and data analysis interpretation. Um, we, we actually ran a study uh, where we kind of surveyed a few companies and we found that they spend you know 80% of their time doing things like planning experiments, gathering resources, actually executing the experiment, uh, cleaning and aggregating data for analysis, and, and a very small amount of time on the really high value add activities of uh, interpreting that data and then folding that back into another experiment. Um, and in order to really separate those, you you have to have an unambiguous way to communicate with the lab. Um, so once you know the way it works is you set up your experiment and you define exactly what you want run and exactly the way that you would want run it. Want it run? Um, and once that's done, you really move from uh, you know the, the experiment's kind of out of your hands and you're now moving about to a, to another you know train of thought or another experimental idea. Um, once it's in our hands, we're fully executing exactly as you said, but that also means there's no kind of uh, back and forth without a manual stop in the middle of it. Um, and in order to do that, we have to really isolate every aspect of what you could possibly do in the lab. Um, you know, every, every parameter of every instrument needs to be fully defined. Um, you know, the types of transfer activities that, that happen from one vessel to the other need to be explicitly defined. Con, you know controls around how you hold materials and all of these things. Um, and since it's defined that way, we capture data on all of those things, which really allows us to isolate you know, where there are deviations from one experiment to, a not, to, to another. Um, you know we have things that are tied to your experiment that are taking pictures of the reagent bottles that are sitting on the bench. Um, your samples are imaged before and after they're run. Um, we have environmental monitors at every location in the lab to really make sure that we have, uh, you know, kind of uh, no, no area for lack of control um, and at a minimum and a place where you can go back and look at the data after if there's something that looks off.
1: Great. And just speaking on a little bit more practical level, uh, if I am a scientist and I, and I do, let's say, cell culture, or I'm doing some biomarker discovery uh, or something else, which capabilities I can already kind of access via your virtual uh, interface, uh, which types of experiment you already support?
0: Yeah, where we have really great coverage today is on the analytical side um, and additionally on uh, kind of the oligo nucleotide space, uh, synthesis space. Um, what we're bringing online today actually is is cell biology and um, kind of higher energy organic synthesis
1: perfect. Uh, and cell biology is uh, of course quite complex uh, to to automate cells are uh, very uh, picky <laughs> uh, creatures and uh, require a lot of care and resources to be maintained properly and and you mentioned that you've worked before for biogen and essentially also uh, setting up those those systems for for cell culture what are the main challenges um essentially in bringing those uh cell culture platforms online
0: yeah i think i mean i think anyone with experience in cell culture knows that you know in some cases it feels like when you look at cells wrong they behave differently um and it can be very challenging to really isolate you know what the variance is coming from and and um, you know, at the end of the day, do things just react differently in, in slightly different scenarios? Uh, yes, I think what we are really trying to do here is isolate as much as possible, um, in terms of, you know, making sure we have all of that really rich data on knowing exactly how long, a, you know, a, a plate of cells sat out on the bench, or, um, you know, exactly the temperature deviation that might have happened if there was a powder, power outage. So, so really, building the data system around it so that when there are things that go slightly askew, you have a a verifiable means of of analyzing that.
1: Understand. Perfect. And I know that ECL is also working with a lot of pharma companies on on different projects. To uh, to the amount that you are allowed to speak about it, can you tell us a bit how um, your platform can be used in drug discovery and development of personalized therapeutics potentially?
0: Yeah. um, So kind of the two main areas where we engage with large pharma clients are um, on the R&D, the the research early discovery side, and on the kind of process development side. Um, You know, the process development side is fairly straightforward in that it's a lot of, uh, you know, procedural work that needs to happen in order to create methods that verify that the product's being made the right way or um, actually develop that product. Uh, on the discovery side, things are a little different in that we're doing things, uh, you know, in many cases one-off. But we also have kind of those defined workflows that are that are being built by those teams. Um, one of the nice features of ECL is that it works just as well for an experiment of one as it does for scaling that experiment to, you know, a thousand or ten thousand uh, samples. Um, once you've developed the experiment for one, it's just a matter of keystrokes to set up. Uh, and run that experiment, say on like a hundred different compounds. Um, so really, you know, it kind of allows the tool of of those scaling activities that companies typically spend a lot of money bringing in either uh, custom software or custom hardware to do uh, to be done directly by the, exper- the by the scientists who know what they're doing in the lab. Um, and so they can really have the power to translate those methods just from oh, I need to run. Uh, Ten different versions of this, versions of this uh, either analysis or experiment, so that we understand the you know the parameters of where it varies, um, and they can take that information and then just scale it without uh, you know huge additional uh, effort.
1: And how difficult is it typically to convince those pharma clients to join your platform because they can be quite <laughs> picky in, in choosing their research partners? Just speaking from their own experience.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think like there's, there is like a straightforward argument for moving to the cloud lab, uh, that you would think would be like really clear in driving people to adoption, uh, in that, you know, there are cheaper setup costs and operations are less expensive. It's also faster than doing your lab work in a traditional environment or outsourcing. Um, but the reality is, is that this is a new technology. We're changing the fundamental way in which you interact with the lab. And with anything like this, you have early adopters, you know, early majority, late majority, and skeptics. Our early majority generally seek us out in many cases um, because they're really looking for a solution to the problem that they see in the lab. Um, these people like, are really kind of our champions, and they help us drive the vision for their peers. The early majority you know, needs to see how it works before they can buy in. Uh, they may be on board in principle, but they, they want to see how the thing plays out uh, and especially how the vision from the early adopters proceeds. Um, what we're focused on at this point is ensuring the success of the early adopters and the early majority following right behind them. Uh, you know, We know that the skeptics will never really be fully convinced without the majority uh, in full already adopting the new technology.
1: And in terms of uh, cooperation with academic labs, are you still more focused on, on working with pharma at the moment, or, or you also have some clients from academia?
0: Yeah, we have um, some clients from academia where we've, we've actually, actually been teaching classes at Carnegie Mellon uh, while using the Cloud Lab during uh, kind of COVID, which has been nice since a lot of that access to labs has been diminished at, at universities. Um, we also work with startups in addition to enterprise and academics.
1: That sounds really great because. Um... As you said, a lot of schools are closed at the moment, uh, and students at universities cannot properly learn biochemistry, molecular biology, chemistry. And it's nice to see that you also use your platform to educate uh, those who are a little bit unfortunate to to kind of be a student in a rather <laughs> challenging times at the moment.
0: Right. Yeah, we also really enjoy working with academics in particular because, like. As you can imagine, you know, with working with pharma, you're often locked up in NDA with, with what they're doing. Um, and so it's, with working with academia is kind of refreshing because we have an opportunity uh, and you know, they have the desire to share a lot of the work and the, the value that they're getting out of the system with the world.
1: We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us. So if you have any suggestions or comments, would like us to cover a specific topic or recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To download the show notes for this episode, visit our website pmedcast.com. It's p-m-e-d-c-a-s-t dot com. The show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. Make sure to check them out. And don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating and leave a comment. It will help us make this show better. And now, let's get back to the interview. Toby uh, when we speak about drug development and R&D uh, do you see also potential for cloud labs such as ECL to move on further um, kind of in the value chain and also get involved in the manufacturing of therapeutics given the high reproducibility of your systems
0: Yeah I mean this is kind of an interesting thing because to some extent we've really brought a lot of manufacturing principles to development and research lab you know things like six sigma and kind of the Toyota production method are things that we uh, bring into our lab to make sure that it's operating very effectively. Um, so it's kind of like, a, it's almost like we've borrowed a lot of their principles from them in order to make sure that, um, you know, the lab operates reproducibility, reproducibly and that we understand what's happening uh, from an operational standpoint. Um, you know, with that though, we have learned a lot about how to build a cloud lab uh, that operates very, very procedurally, but also repeatably. And, and keyly across a huge diversity of equipment, materials, and everything else that happens in the lab, which does have you know, significant Im- implications for therapeutic manufacturing. Um, kind of that idea of, of running a, a, a manufacturing plant that does a different thing every time.
1: Toby, what I'm also curious about is that um, companies like ECL, they combine expertise in very diverse fields. So you obviously have a lot of developers, a lot of scientists, a lot of process engineers, how do these people come together to work essentially on what is, in the end, one product? Um, and how does it feel to work in such a diverse environment?
0: Yeah, it's really exciting to be honest to work in this environment. Uh, the way we're structured is we have an engineering team who are, uh, you know, experts in in programming and software development, uh, and they develop kind of the base level software. And you can think of it kind of as the plumbing that that runs the lab digitally. Um, we have scientific developers, and those are a team of experts with PhDs in, quite frankly, a huge variety of disciplines who we've we've taught to program, um, and so they build the experimental functions in a way that's like natively uh, that's native and makes sense to scientists, and not you know just code for computer programmers. One of the kind of really interesting parts of our language is that um, you know, despite the fact that it is a programmable programmable language it's natively readable by scientists who have like a reasonable level of expertise in that field. Um, You know, the experiment for HPLC is literally experiment HPLC. Um, And if you looked in that experiment, you'd be able to pick out the flow rates and the different parameters of of that experiment. Um, I think the other aspect is really, you know, that I get to do personally is that I get to work with customers with a wide variety of um, needs and a wide variety of technical questions. And it's really kind of empowering to know that you have the knowledge resource of all of those scientists back at ECL um, who can really help dive into those technical questions despite the domain that they occur in.
1: Perfect. Toby, what uh, what I'm also interested about, if you've seen any shifts kind of to this cloud-based approaches driven by COVID, I think uh, what, what we've learned in the last year that um, science must go on and uh, there there was a lot of kind of support uh, on different levels in private and also public level to different uh, research uh, organizations and biotech companies um but do you see the growing demand for cloud based solutions as a consequence of of the pandemic
0: yeah absolutely i think i think companies are really taking a hard look at what their risk management uh, activities are and, and what they're doing in order to kind of uh you know, remove the ability of, you know, a a pandemic to take them away from the work that they're doing. Um, I think that's really started with an internal look at what their IT processes are for for lab activities. Um, And I think as they go through those activities, we've definitely had a lot of interest coming from companies who
1: are are kind of thinking along those lines and kind of stumbling across us uh, from that angle. And just from curiosity, how, how is your organization actually uh, organized? Do you also work remotely or you normally work uh, at one site uh, even before pandemic?
0: Yeah. So before the pandemic, uh, I, everyone worked on site. Um, a lot of it really is, you know, it's, it's kind of a paradigm, but like the people there really need to see the equipment in order to get it set up so that you don't need to see the equipment. Um, in addition to that, you know, we do have the operations team on site. Uh, who are 24 seven running the experiments on the system. So they're kind of there in a shift work capacity. Um, there's also, ex, uh, kind of PhDs on systems who go in. And if there is an issue with an instrument, they can go and diagnose it at, at any time of day. Um, but the scientific development team has historically been on site. I think I was actually the first, uh, like planned, not on site employee. So, um, but since then everyone's kind of really adopted and, and, started kind of uh, translating the work that they were doing on-site to, to working remotely and, and still delivering the same number of experiments on a monthly basis that we were doing before.
1: Toby, what I'm also interested in, um, we've talked a lot about biomedical research, but what about other fields uh, of science and maybe beyond science, other fields of industry uh, where your cloud-based approach can be used?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, so even within like the lab that we have today, you know, we have interest from consumer goods companies, uh, ag tech, material science companies, really anyone, you know, the diversity of equipment that exists in our lab uh, is really helpful for a wide variety of uh, different experimental needs. And so we've kind of seen uh, companies from from all of those areas come and, and try to understand how what we can do can work for them.
1: Toby, and maybe if you look kind of in the next ten years and uh, try to imagine the perfect world where everything works, what do you think will be the three developments that that will lead us to that world over the next decade? Uh, and what is the role of cloud-based solutions uh, in achieving that outcome? Speaking about biomedical science, of course. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the first big pushes will definitely be to organize and leverage all the data that these companies uh, already have. Um, you know, there's a wealth of information that exists from all of the experiments that have been conducted to date. Um, and I think there's been, uh, there's been slow movements, and I think those are speeding up in order to kind of organize that data in a, in a way that it becomes useful. Um, I think that in parallel is kind of where we're s- stacking on with kind of this idea of proceduralizing science. Um, you know, continuing to streamline operations, which you know helps allow more molecules to flow through the pipeline faster and with less effort. Um, and I think you know one of the interesting parts about ECL is that it, it does both the proceduralizing the science, but also the organizing data on the out, on the output side, um, and kind of skips the whole step of needing to go back retroactively and, and organize the data or build an organization system into your pipeline. Um, you know, I think. Those two things have to happen first, but I think the next big leap will then come from um, those higher order activities like AI ML to to answer new questions or start bringing up new questions that haven't been asked before.
1: Perfect, Toby. Like a lot of young scientists, early career researchers are listening to to this podcast. Um, a lot of them are passionate about biology, bioinformatics, um, engineering as well. Um, which one piece of advice would you give to them to to be successful in uh, science and research?
0: Yeah, I think I think the trend in science is definitely towards you know being a more flexible, uh, more adaptive person. And I think a lot of that has to do with with you know a variety of experiences early in your career. Um, you know, as you mentioned, there, there's definitely a big push in combining a lot of what was traditionally, you know, uh, life science work with, um, you know, more mathematical and more computer-driven uh, research, um, and so definitely kind of spanning those gaps um, will set you up probably for success in the future.
1: Perfect, Toby. Before I let you go, can you let our audience know where they can find you online if they want to reach out?
0: Yeah, uh, we have a variety of resources at our website, which is uh, www.emeraldcloudlab.com. You can also reach out directly to me at toby.blackburn.emeraldcloudlab.com.
1: Perfect. Toby, thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast. It was a pleasure. And thanks a lot for telling about the future of, of the lab.
0: Great. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to the Personalized Medicine Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and many, many more. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver the best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's P-M-E-D-C-A-S-T dot And engage with us on social media, where we regularly share the news and exciting content on personalized medicine. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook just by typing in Personalized Medicine Podcast. Or use our handle, pmedcast. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest for the show, write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. Have a great day and until next time.